this, if you guys could return to your seat, that'd be awesome. If you need some coffee, get it. Um, but if you're already there, grab your Bible, whether it's uh, the only way to do it, paper version, or it's on your phone. Grab your, phone, uh, grab your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We've been tracking through 1 Corinthians, and it's been a lot of fun uh, just seeing what was going on at Corinth. And I tell you what, anybody who tells me the Bible is not uh, relevant, I can just tell you, you're crazy, man. The Bible is so relevant for life today, not just 2,000 years ago, but for today. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm excited to jump in with you guys. It's been an amazing week of ministry, and I'm just excited to see what God wants to continue to do this morning as we launch into another week, okay? So let's read this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be at verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Let me read this. It says this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father, your word is good, and it's a light and a lamp to our feet. And I pray, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, you would illuminate it to our spirit, that we would understand it, know it, be transformed by it, and that we'd be able to teach it lovingly to others. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hey, uh, a couple of years ago, I got to sit down with a man named Todd Wagner, and we were in a car with a group of people, and we stopped at a restaurant, and we're sitting there, and Todd's you know, a leader among leaders, and we're sitting there, and so he said, hey, guys, you got any questions for me? And so it's a bunch of young leaders with him, and we're like, yeah, we've got some questions. So we started asking Todd some questions, and one of the things, we're like, hey, tell us what you read. And Todd's like, you know, I, I, read, I read quite a bit, obviously, a lot of spiritual stuff. He's a pastor. He said, but you know, I also read a lot about business. I read a lot about business, and uh, he said the reason why he read a lot about business is a lot of the people he's working with are businessmen. They're North Dallas businessmen. And he goes, you know, reading these things helps me understand what they're seeing, what they know, what they're processing, and helps me communicate the gospel to them in a way they can understand it. Years before that, I was sitting in an office with a guy named Mark Price. He used to be a pastor over at CMA, and he meant a lot to me. And in his office, he would talk to me about how to form a message, how to put things together so that you could communicate it to people in a way that they could understand it. He said, you know, you need to heighten interest, get their attention. Then you need to surface a need. And from there, you're going to tell them where you're going. Once you tell them where you're going, go there with them. And you're going to show them in scripture and at the end, give them a so what. And I remember that to this day because I sat there and he said, look, this is how people's brains work. This is how they receive this information. And then last year, I got to uh, go and hang out at the rodeo with a guy named uh, Dave Eubanks, who's with Free Burma Rangers. And we hung out and I got to watch as this man would just pray for every single person at the rodeo. If you've ever been there when he's there, I prayed for more random strangers in like two hours than like my entire life. It was awesome. And, uh, but he just, the way he would talk to these cowboys and he would change the way he would say things to fit them. And at first it was kind of like dorky and weird, but at the same time, like it made sense to these rodeo guys. Now, why do I tell you that? 
I tell you about the, a restaurant, I tell you about an office, and I tell you about the rodeo, because it's the places that we go, and it's the places where we interact with people. And each one of these guys taught me something, that the gospel doesn't have to be said the same way that your grandparents said it, but that in each environment, you could take the gospel and you could communicate the same truth to an environment with a different language, different culture, different kind of context, different, different kind of rules, and you could communicate in a way that is impactful to others. Listen, hey guys, I'm a sinner. No surprise, right? Um, but I'm a sinner who has been saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ because people came into my life and they communicated the gospel to me in my language. They used sports analogies, right? They talked about things that mattered to me. They heard my story. And because they did that, I was able to understand the gospel. It made sense to me, and I accepted it and received it, and it's changed and transformed my life. Now, here's the thing. That's what we call evangelism. That's what we call, you know, uh, you know uh, some people call it proselytizing, which is a very weird, strange word. Don't say it. It's weird. Um, okay. And I think our, in our culture, it's not really popular to talk about evangelism. One, because you just don't want to do it because you feel weird. Um, but number two, it's like, oh, don't put your ideas, don't put your thoughts on me. Don't force me to do that. And our culture can kind of see that as coercion, right? Or imperialism. But as Christians, we know it's, it's not coercion. We're not trying to you know, force this upon you. We're not trying to make it mandated. It's, it's persuasion. We want to be persuasive in the way that we say things. We want to say it in a way that makes sense to our hearers. Right? And it's also cultural immersion. We want to dive into cultures and get to know them well enough that we know how they work, what they think about, how, how they process things. But also, we don't want to be just come, become like their culture. We want to show them the culture of Jesus, the culture of grace and kindness, and joy and mercy and laughter and worship and praise. Like, we want to showcase that to them. But we've got to get to know them, Right? It's persuasion and cultural immersion. Look, guys, today we're diving into 1 Corinthians 9, and I think this passage, we need to hear this passage this morning because I think that in a lot of ways we've lost the missionary spirit, leaving, leaving that to people who go to foreign lands. And I think in a lot of ways we've lost the pastoral spirit, leaving that to the professionals who are up in pulpits. We pay you to do that, bro. I don't have to do that. And I, I think, like, how cool would it be if the church of Cody, right, began to realize and to wake up and see that the mission of God is their mission as well? How cool would it be if right now 150 missionaries left this room, went out into Cody, and shared the gospel in a way that made sense to Cody people? Because listen to this. you got to know this. The best missionaries to Cody, Wyoming, are not Chinese. They're not from South Africa. They're not European. They're you. They're you. You live here. You know what we eat. You know how we talk. You know what we do. You know what we need. You know, our, you know the, the, the bad ways we think about things, the darkness of Cody. You see it and you know it. And so for me, I've been wondering, I've been thinking about, man, what, what if we returned back to the grassroots, blood and guts way of Jesus that he started 2,000 years ago? And what did he start it with? Did he start it with professionals and pulpits? No, he took fishermen. He took accountants. He took ex-slaves. He, uh, 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 he took doctors, right? He took prostitutes. He says, hey, you, I'm going to give 
all this goodness and grace, this truth. And through you, the rest of the world's going to hear it and be blessed. And it was grassrootsy. It was like, it was on the ground level. And I bet you it was really messy and weird. But it was awesome. And the spirit moved in it. And I tell you right now, uh, as just one guy in this room, I'm telling you, I'm praying that we would be that kind of people. Anybody want to be that kind of people? That's what I'm talking about. I want to be just like that blood and guts in the, in the streets being about it. And so last week we talked about, Paul was talking about the joyous duty that he has to serve Jesus. He talked about like, hey, I got to do this because Jesus told me I have to do this. But you know what? I, I do it because it's a pleasure and a joy. This week we're going to talk about, we're going to take a look behind the curtain. And like all of us sitting with Paul, and he's the leader at the restaurant, and he's going to say, guys, here's what I do. And he's going to showcase that to us, all right? And so we're going to see how to, uh, that we are free to serve all, and then we're going to talk about how we can serve to win all. Y'all excited? Let's rock and roll. Let's talk about it. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This is the thesis statement of the whole passage. So first he says, I am free from all. What does it mean that Paul is free from everybody? Well, if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, as well as the rest of the New Testament, I think you see three things. This is what Paul's saying. Number one, Paul is not enslaved to the opinions of man. He's got the approval of Jesus. Okay, think about that. He's not enslaved to other people's opinions. All right, he's got the approval of Jesus. Number two, Paul is not bound by any culture. He lives in the way of Jesus. Track him. Number three, Paul is not bound by sin. It doesn't have power over him. It may have presence in him, but it has no power over him because he has been set free by the forgiveness of Jesus. Are these three things true of you? Okay. So in a limited way, Paul is a lot like Jesus, all right? Think about it. Jesus was not, he didn't cater to public opinion, did he? No. He wasn't bound by cultural pressures. He, the culture didn't tell him how to act. He showcased something different. And also Jesus, he was not bound by sin in any way. And so that gave Jesus, think about this, an incredible ability to be able to address the issues of his day in a way that made sense in the context. It was understandable. But you got to remember something. There's a difference between you guys and Jesus, right? Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Jesus will always be God. But Jesus didn't come down to us speaking an angelic language, did he? No, he came down to the Hebrews and he spoke Hebrew. He talked like them. He didn't, like, eat heavenly bread. What did he do? He came, he ate the fish of Galilee that his friends caught for him. He was a guy who pulled back the heavenly veil and put on the skin bag like that we've got. He just walked among us, smelled like us, talked like us, and in a lot of ways set, set us free to be able to understand him. Why did he do that? He did it because if he didn't do that, man, none of us can understand God. We can't understand him. And so he becomes like us so that it, he begins to make sense. But the second reason why he did it is, friends, because he loves us. That's why God did it, because he loves you. And because he loves you, he decided to do that. So Paul is saying, look, uh, he has the freedom to make the exact same choice that Jesus made. You've got to understand something. Nobody, uh, Jesus wasn't forced to do it. Jesus chose to do it. And Paul's saying, I have freedom from everybody, from opinions, from culture, and from sin, I choose to go and engage in the culture. 
And so, how does he do that? How does Paul's freedom change the way that he serves others? Well, he says it, 20 through 22. He says, look, to the Jews I became a Jew. Why? Because I'm free to. To those under the law I became as one under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law. To the weak I became weak. I have become all things to all people. So as a servant of Christ, and guys, listen, Jesus is the chief of all servants. As a servant of Jesus, Paul says that he is free to serve others regardless of opinions, regardless of their culture, regardless of their moral preference. How so? Well, just like uh, Jesus made the decision to limit himself, Paul's saying, look, look, I'm free. I'll limit myself however I want. I'll, I'll make whatever decision I have to do. I want to get this gospel to you. So I will make that choice. So the Jews which are his native people, he'll eat like them, occasionally talk like them, walk with them, dress like them. When he's hanging with the Greeks, he'll dress like the Greeks. He'll eat with the Greeks. He'll talk like the Greeks. To those who, it says they're talking about the weak, and it's the weak from earlier in chapter 8 who struggle with the food sacrifice to idols. He's like, look, if you're weak emotionally, mentally, physically, he's like, look, I'll be right there with you. I'll set aside whatever strength I've got, and I'll be right there with you. Just humbly in your presence. You got next to no food? That's all right. I'll, I'll be with you. We just won't eat together. You got bounty? Sweet. I'll, I'll sit and eat with you. You speak that language? I'll speak that language. I will be with you. Why? Because I'm free to do so. And I'm going to choose to do so because I have the free choice to do so. Now, is there some boundary lines on this? Anybody like in their heart kind of may feel that? They're like, man, there's kind of like some limitations, right? Like, you know, it's like, hey, they're all going to the club. Let's go to the club and let's, man, let's just go, you know? You know, it's like, no, there's some limitations to this. I love the way that Alexander McLaren says it. Look, he said, love for your neighbor does not mean joining them in their sin. But guys, you got to understand something. Jesus became like sinners. Jesus sat down and had dinner with liars, thieves, and prostitutes, religious people, licentious people. He sat down and said, hey, my table, you guys can all be here. Come on, come sit. Let's eat together. Let's be together. And Paul's saying he's got the freedom to be like his neighbor to a degree, but he's going to be like him. He's going to contextualize his life and his message to suit them. Two, two guys, I think they have done that in a beautiful way. There's a guy named uh, Leonard Dober and David Nietzscheman, two Germans from the 1700s. You probably heard their story, but you probably heard it wrong. Let me just tell you. So these two guys were young men, and they were brokenhearted over the slave trade. But their brokenheartedness was that these slaves were never being taught the gospel. Nobody was bringing it to the West Indies to share with them. And so these two guys felt pressed in their spirit. Young guys said, look, they're Germans, and they said, look, we've got to get the message of the gospel to these people. And so they tried to figure out any way that they could do it. But nobody would let them on the ship. Nobody would let them go with them to the West Indies so they could go and preach the gospel. So they decided, well, then we're going to sell ourselves into slavery so that we can go and be with those slaves and share the gospel. It's an amazing. That's where the story takes uh, a romantic wrong turn. What really happened was they fought to do this, and even the slave traders would not let them do it. Their family and everyone told them they're crazy. Their pastors told them they're crazy. They're like, you guys are crazy. Why would you restrict yourself that way? And they said, because we freely choose to do so. So these men were met with hardship after hardship after hardship of trying to get this to happen. And year after year, people denied them. Finally, it made it all the way to the queen, and the queen said, let's, let's get this to happen. And so finally, these brothers were able to get on a ship. And they're like, everybody told them, hey, you're going to die on the ship. You're not even going to make it there. 
just getting criticized. And so finally they're on the ship, and one of their brothers, an ex-slave named Anton, wrote a letter to his sister who was in the West Indies working on one of these plantations. And so they took that letter, they took that message, and the message of the gospel they got on the ship, and they uh, sailed all the way there. And so the recording we have from this time uh, says this. On their very first Sunday, they began in the name of Jesus Christ to do what they had come to do. They went in search of Anton's sister, Anna, who, with her second brother, Abraham, served as one of the uh, company plantations, on one of the company plantations. They brought her the letter from her brother, Anton, and read it to her. In the letter, Anton told how he had become converted, become a Christian, and he pleaded for her to do likewise. Anton quoted in his letter the scripture, John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Reading this, the brethren pointed out to Anna and the other slaves who were there the blessings of salvation. And they said this, yes, this is for you too. Jesus conquered death to save you and give you eternal life, and this is the reason we have come here, to make this known unto you. And even though they mixed German and Dutch languages together in what they were saying, the the slaves still understood them, accepting their talk as a message which heaven sent them. They rejoiced, clapping their hands. Up to then, they had believed that what the white brethren, those preachers who ministered in the churches attended only by whites, had brought was meant only for white people and that the blacks had no right to accept it. Until two brothers said, I will freely choose to lay aside everything in my life that you might know the thing that I was freely given. Before these brothers returned back to Germany, to Copenhagen, they baptized 13,000 slaves. Praise God. But that doesn't even compare to what Christ has done for us and what he's laid aside that we might know that he's the Messiah who's come to set us free, to unbind the chains of slavery to sin so we might know the freedom of the gospel and make choices like these two men that no one feels free to make. So what does this freedom look like for us today? Sorry, guys, this thing is a mess. Well, Paul is an example, and Dober and Nietzsche are an example to us to what it looks like to really live free, guys, to really live free. Like Paul, if you want to live in this freedom, you have to understand that the good news is for you. And you got to know it and you got to understand it. We have to understand that our identity, guys, is not wrapped up in what people think about you. It's not even wrapped up in what you think about you. And it's certainly not wrapped up in our culture, which says that your value comes through what you own, what you accomplish, how many goals you get. It does not matter. That's not what dictates your value. And your value is not dictated by your sin. Satan wants to come and call you by your sin. Jesus wants to set you free and call you by your name. You're not a slave. You have a name. When you live in that freedom and you begin to understand that, and then you begin to recognize that because you are free, because you are atoned for, because all the unholy things inside of you are removed, then the presence of God, who's the holy God, it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that the spirit of God dwells within you? And once you begin to recognize that the spirit of God is present in you and you 
are present in this community, then you will begin to see that you are God's means of grace to this community. You are the plan A, and God's got no plan B. It's you. He rescued and redeemed you. If you understand that, then what we're going to head to next makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. From freedom, uh, from the freedom of the gospel, which you guys should be reminding yourself of every day. Look, uh, one of the guys in my community group was like, man, i got to read the Bible more. And I said, hold on, you don't need to read the Bible more. You need to love Jesus more. And if that means reading your Bible to do so, let's do it every day. You're like, oh, how many guys are like, man, i got to get to church. i got to get to church. Man, you ain't got to get to church. You either are the church or you're not. But, man, if getting together with the fellowship of the saints makes you love Jesus more, man, let's get together. Let's worship. Let's sing praises. Let's high-five and fellowship and pray for one another. And let's get in community and do it. And once you begin to do that, guys, and you allow it to sink in your life, you're getting into God's word, you're fellowshipping in community, they're helping you, they're guarding you, they're teaching you the way, then, guys, we got to become uh, students of our culture. Don't just live in it, study it, understand it. How do people think? What are they longing for? What are they hoping for in Cody? What are they searching for? What are the things that they think that are just slightly off or wrong? What are their stories? Man, I just to sit and hear people's stories. How many times at Cody Coffee, I'll just look at a guy and be like, hey, tell me your story. This morning, getting coffee, I see a guy, he's got a backpack, looks like a hitchhiker, smells like a hitchhiker. And then we were just like, I said, hey, man, like, where are you from, man? Where are you going? He's like, well, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm like, awesome. Where are you going? And he's like, well, I'm going to Montana. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. How long have you been on the road? Uh, this long. And I was like, that's awesome. I asked you another question. He's like, I see ya. And he left, right? And so, but I tried. I want to hear a story. I want to know him. Guy came to my gym this past week. We're sitting. I said, hey, man, tell me your story. Like, we just worked out together and suffered together, right? Tell me your story. Where are you from? He said, well, I work over here and I do this. I'm like, okay, and where are you from? Said, well, from Chicago. Awesome, man. Hey, I'd love to hear more of your story. You want to get together this week? And we're getting together on Tuesday. We're going to sit. We're going to talk stories. Just tell me about your life, man. I just want to know you. I want to know you. That's the reason why in my community group I got, I got the Monfeld boys. I don't know if you know them, but they like to ride bulls. And it's the reason why a couple weeks ago I sat for 45 stinking minutes listening to bulls, watching bull riding videos. I just want you to know, it doesn't interest me in any way. But it means the world to Owen Monfeld. And Owen Monfeld means the world to Jesus. So I'll watch some bull riding videos. And I tell you right now, I can teach you, I can teach you the gospel through bull riding right now. Because I just took 45 minutes to know a man's story. I love Alexander McLaren says like this, make yourself as like them as you honestly can. Restrict yourselves of allowable acts and deference to even narrow prejudices. But let the motive of your assimilating yourself to others be clearly their highest good that you may gain them not for yourself, but for your master. I love that. So many of you guys are adapting the way you live and what you dress and what you do and what you eat and what kind of rifle you used to hunt with. You, you adapt all these things because you're hoping to gain people for you, gain their approval and gain their opinion. I'm telling you, who cares what their opinion is? We want to gain them for Christ. Let's go. Every single day, you guys right now, you're surrounded by eternal Beings, you've never met a mere mortal. You're surrounded by eternal beings. Guys, when you go back to college, every single person you play against, every single person you're in a dorm with, 
Every single person has an eternal soul within them. And many of them are bound for an eternal hell. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because God has done something to fix it. Undeservingly. And we got to be ready. Because they are crippled by opinions. They are driven by culture. And they are enslaved to their sin. And they're just waiting for somebody who will get on a boat. Who will just walk across the hall. Who will just like step out of the way and get into their office and just say, look, I want to tell you, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, here's the thing I've realized. If you're motivated, you'll just about do anything. Am I right? Look at teenage boys. Hey, all right? Do they have some motivations? Oh, man. I, when I was in college, I was dating this beautiful girl, and uh, I, I had, like, this band shirt, and I loved it, but I sold it so I could get gas money. So I could drive two hours to go see her. I was so broke. I didn't have any money to get back. I didn't even know what I was going to do. But I married that girl, and I've got three kids from her. Let's go. I was motivated, bro. I was motivated. So when you have the right motivation behind it, you'll do just about anything. Okay, so let's take a look at Paul's why. Why was he so motivated? Why did he make these decisions? Well, he says, 1 Corinthians 9, 23, this is how he talks about to serve, to win. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I do all for the sake of the gospel. So just as Jesus voluntarily chose to become like us, so the choice to become like or familiar with our neighbor is a voluntary choice that we can make. But the question is, is this the mission of your life? Is this the goal in your life? If it is, contextualizing the gospel and listening to their stories, that decision's already been made. You're like, yep, done, already made that decision. If that's not your goal, then the choice is going to either be unclear or just non-existent. You won't make these decisions. August 15th will come, you'll be like, I ain't inviting no neighbors. And most likely, you'll live in a way that is either enslaved to fears, to your pleasures, or to whatever's comfortable. Man, that's a, that's a good characterization of the way the church is all the time, man. We just pursue, I don't like these chairs, man. They're not that comfortable. It's too hot in here. What's going on? That worship, it was so loud. It's like, man, when were you the center of the cosmos, man? Chill out. When's the last time you told anybody about Jesus? I'm like, well, let's not talk about that, right? You're bridging in my space. I'm getting out of hand. Let's get back to this. <laughs> Paul says that his why is that the gospel and it, all of the blessings that come with it, he just wants people to share in what he's got. He's like, what I have, I want you to have. And I'll do anything. I'll become like the Jews. I'll become like the legalistic people. I'll become like the licentious people. I'll become like the weak people. Whatever I got to do, I just want you to know it. I am desperate that you would know this. And for this goal to be your goal, listen, guys, for you to really understand this goal and for it to really become your why, I'm telling you right now, I am fully convinced after 15 years of being in ministry, I can't convince you for it to be your goal. The Spirit of God has to help you with that. I think everybody in the room would be like, man, I don't know that that's my goal. And I want to tell you right now, then if you raise your hand and say that's not your goal, then I know, of, I know someone you can go to who will help it make, your, make it your goal. And it's the Spirit of God. I can teach you the Bible until I'm blue in the face. I can yell at you. I can tell you cool stories. But man, until we get on our knees and we say, God, I, this is not my desire, but would you make it my desire? Take away my fear of people's opinions. Help me step out of this culture and help me understand my freedom in Jesus. When you do, you'll be like the analogy that he's about to make. 
is going to become salty and deep and rich. That's what he says. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. This verse is usually read wrong because we put the emphasis in the wrong place. All right, the emphasis is actually on the word so. So go back to it. It looks like this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. What he's saying is it's a, it's, a, it's a term of comparison. So just like run like the champion. So uh, last week or two weeks ago, it was the CrossFit Games, and I, me and my wife were watching the CrossFit Games. You might think that's weird. It's just watching people do fitness, but it's pretty amazing. And uh, one of the guys, his name is, uh, the guy who won it, his name is Justin Madero. He's 22 years old. The guy's a stud. And I saw a video before the games, and he said this. I love it. And you see it in his eyes. He goes, I didn't come to compete. I came to win. And so here's the thing he could also say is, I didn't train to make the games. I trained to win the games. I didn't train to make the Olympics. I trained like a guy who gets the gold. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. You see the guy who's a champion? Train like that guy. He's not saying, you know, maybe you're just a really terrible runner. I'm just trying to strive to get to the finish line. No. You see the guy who crosses the finish line before everybody? Train like him. Serve like a champion. And this is what he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. This makes sense to the Corinthians because they had a massive, massive stadium. And they would host every year a huge athletic event, and it had a lot of running races in it. And so at the, if you won this running race after training for 11 months to do it, uh, you would get a pine branch that was woven into a crown. Woohoo! Right? And with that would come, like, some, some acclaim, some, some popularity. But, man, that, in a matter of a week, that pine branch was going to wither. Hey, you were going to be forgotten. And none of you in this room knows anybody who's ever won a race in Corinth 2,000 years ago. You don't give a care about that. And Paul, Paul's basically saying, like, look, what is a wilting wreath compared to winning somebody for the kingdom of God? And Paul's also saying, like, look, why are we taking our advice from the runners? Shouldn't the running coaches or the soccer coaches be like, look, you see the way those Christians will discipline their bodies, discipline their life in a way to pursue you? Wake up and train like them. Why are we looking to them to tell us how to live? We're going for eternal souls, not crappy little medallions. I used to have a trophy shelf in my bedroom when I was in middle school. So Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. What this looks like, I've got a, a friend, his name is Blake Donnelly. He's, he's a Navy SEAL for a lot of years, and him and I got to do a workout together. We're going to do a swim, all right? And they're kind of good at swimming. And so we're going to get in the water. I say, hey, man, how are you with swimming? Like, you know, I've, I've trained this combat side stroke thing. How are you? He goes, actually, that's, you know, the fastest in my buds class. And I was like, oh, really? And he's like, well, it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily just a good swimmer. He's like, here's the thing I want to tell you. I'm not just powerful. I swim straight. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah. Swimming straight when you swim two miles matters. It matters. And so what he said, he's like, I would set my course and I would see where I was going and I could just swim straight. But every, the rest of the people in my buds class, they would be doing a little bit of this. And he said, occasionally you just swim and every few strokes he would pop his head up and look and he just keeps swimming straight. He said, and I would beat everybody in my class just because I swam straight. That is what Paul is saying. He's like, I have set my aim on something, and I'm fixing my eyes on it. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look directly forward and let your gaze be straight before you. 
26 says, ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Occasionally, look up. Where are you going? Is everything in my life, are my feet moving that way or am I getting distracted? No, I want to go this way. And I've set my eyes on it and I'm going to go that way. And that's Paul, what Paul is saying. Go back up to verses 20 through 22. What does he say? Why did he become a Jew with the Jews? In order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Why? That I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Why? That I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. See, I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Paul says, I play to win. I train like a champion. I don't train like a last place guy. I want to win. Because what I live for, people a thousand years ago, a thousand years from now, will be thanking me for it. Nobody will remember your big fish. Nobody will remember your elk. It'll go into an estate sale. But I tell you right now, one soul who is in heaven, who gets to sit at the dining table with Jesus, will turn and look at you and say, thank you that you came to me. Thank you for speaking my language. Thank you for telling me the gospel. You're a man of God. Thank you. So that's why Paul says, I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I might be disqualified. An effective witness requires effective discipline in its witness, personally and missionally. You want to win, you need discipline. Discipline means restriction. And that may sound religious to you. That may turn you off. But for us who love God, love others, to us, sounds like wisdom. Sounds like wisdom. Sounds like a focused effort. It sounds like a long obedience in the same direction. So when Paul says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified, that word disqualified, what is it, it doesn't mean that he loses his salvation. What he means is be found to be a counterfeit, to be a fake, to be a fraud. It's kind of like when you have a buddy come up to you. Imagine a, a friend coming up to you. He's like, hey, man, I'm, I want to be a bodybuilder. I'm like, dude, awesome. That's cool, man. Uh, so what are you going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to work out multiple times a day. I'm only going to eat grilled chicken and rice. And, uh, and, and I'm going to get after it, man. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get good sleep. I'm like, sweet, man, let's go. And you go, and a week later you see that, bro. I'm like, hey, man, how's training to be a bodybuilder? He's like, man, it's good. I was like, all right. Like, how, did you get in the gym this past week? Yeah, two days I got in the gym. Oh, two days? Okay, well, how, how's the diet going? He's like, well, you know, good. I had ice cream about three days. And you're like, yeah, you know what? You're becoming a bodybuilder, but I don't think you're building the body that you think you're building. You're a fraud. You ain't no bodybuilder. You're fake. And Paul's trying to say, listen, I want to live in a way that looks like I got one goal. You don't have to become a pastor. You don't have to become a missionary. You are a missionary. You are a pastor, wherever you are. Whether it's on your team, whether it's in the game of fish, whether it's at the hospital, whether it's at uh, you're mowing lawns, whether you're in high school or middle school or elementary school, you got a mission field. And listen, I'm not in high school, praise God. You are, and God wants you to reach your teammates. I don't work at the hospital. You do, and God wants to use you as a means of grace to the people in the hospital. I love Alexander McLaren. has been a joy to my life lately. And he says this. He goes, and, and, uh, it is a very easy thing 
to be a Christian in one aspect. Okay? Inasmuch as a Christian at the very bottom is a man that is trusting to Jesus Christ, and that's not hard to do. To become a Christian, you don't have to work for it. You guys know that? You don't need a 225 back squat. You don't need to attend services. You don't have to start smelling good and wearing a button-up. You can't do anything to be saved. Jesus did everything for you. Salvation is a very simple, easy thing. It's trusting Jesus. But what he says next is this. It's a very hard thing to be a Christian in another aspect because a real Christian is a man and a woman who, by reason of trusting in Jesus Christ, has set his heel on the neck of the animal that's in him. And he keeps the flesh well down. And not only the flesh, but the desires of the mind as well as the flesh. And he subordinates them all to the one aim of pleasing him. I'll tell you what, that mess is hard. It's hard. So, I told you Paul taught me how to do this. Get your attention, surface a need, tell you where you're going. We've gone through it. You ready for the so what? What do we do? How do we get there? Let me tell you this. How do we keep the heel of our boot on the neck of that animal within us, those distractions, those fears, those, those pleasures that just really just want to rob you of life. How do we do it? We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And how we do that is first by devoting daily to God's word and prayer. You devote daily. Man, you operate on lies every single day. Why not take some time every day to remind you of what's true? That's why we get in God's word, y'all. Not so that we think you're just a great Christian. I don't give a care. I want you to know that you are a healthy Christian. We devote daily. John 15, 5 says, uh, anyone who uh, is apart from me can do nothing. So we abide with Jesus every morning. Devote daily. We also got to be a church that pursues one another relationally, right? Outdoing one another in honor, loving one another. You got Christian brothers and sisters? They better be loving you. This better be a place. If there's any place in all of the community of Cody where you come and we're going to chase you down, we're going to love you, we're going to care for you. We got to live authentically, guys. The gospel of grace tells us that we can be honest about who we are. And listen, we got a lot of sinners up in this room. Amen? Holy cow, we're all over the place in here. Me too. It's just like there's sin everywhere. And we got to be honest about it because James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed so we could be a healed place. Man, listen, I, I came out of a porn addiction and narcissism and selfishness and manipulation of women, and I made an idol out of sports and I made an idol out of, uh, of acclaim and grades and all the things I could because I was just all about me. I loved me some me. And man, I was sick, but God came to heal me and set me free from that because somebody contextualized the gospel and told it to me, and now I'm set free. Do I, is the power of sin gone? Yes. Is the present gone? No. It's still in my life. I still work through it. And so that's why I need people to come in and, fourth thing, admonish me faithfully. What's admonishment like? It's like, oh, you dirty rod center. No, it's like the bumpers on a bowling alley. Man, I want to keep you bowling down the middle. I at least hit one pin, bro. Let's do this. And they point out your life. You're like, hey, homie, like that's leading into a gutter ball. Let's like work on getting that back. And if you are a sane person in this room, you want people telling you that. We need to counsel each other biblically. You want straight and true bumpers on the lanes, right? You need the word of God. Don't just like, don't come and tell me what Joe Rogan said, okay? I don't give a care what Joe Rogan thinks, unless Joe Rogan's talking scripture. Then I'll be like, all right, cool, I'll listen to you. Let's do this. Let's counsel each other biblically. And lastly, guys, we got to engage missionally. we got to get to work. 
There are eternal souls who are bound for hell in our community, in your neighborhood. I know the names of the ones in my neighborhood, and they come and eat some cinnamon rolls. And I don't get to know them. Will you get to know them, guys, and engage missionally? I don't need to create a missional program. We don't need to create an outreach program. You know why? Because Jesus already made it. It's you. It's you. Wake up and let's go do this, man. Just want to give you an example. I'm silly. You're going to make fun of me. Guys, yeah, worship guys, y'all can come up. Uh, a few months ago, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there were some young men walking around the neighborhood trying to sell some security cameras. Remember that? Anybody, anybody have those guys cross your neighborhood? Yeah, yeah, me too. I had like three of them. It's like, listen, guys, okay? And so but one of the guys came up, and I said, hey, I don't have time right now, but could you come back? Here's my phone number. Text me, and if I'm home, I want you to be there. And so he texted me, is he going to be there? I was like, yeah, I'm home. So he came in my house. And uh, we're standing on the front porch. He's talking to me about stuff. I was like, man, why are we on the front porch? Let's go inside. So we get inside. We sit on the couch. The young dude's like 20 years old from Las Vegas. And we're sitting there, and I'm hearing his story, and I'm talking about stuff. And he's telling me about all these cameras. To, to be honest, I almost bought some of them cameras. He had me convinced, man. And uh, I was sitting there, and I was like, dude, I, like, this is great. And so but the end of the conversation, this guy's been walking all day. It's late afternoon. And um, we're sitting there, and I was like, man, I, look. Brother, I'm so thankful for you. You are trying to help me out to protect my family by bringing some security in my house. Hey, can I tell you about my eternal security? And some of you guys are like, what a dork. <laughs> hey, you could call me a dork, but is God going to call you a coward? Because you just won't say anything. I'd rather be a dork shares Jesus than be a coward who goes to heaven and nobody followed after you. Because you couldn't say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not trying to make you feel less than. Just trying to help you realize how serious this is. This is real. Y'all hear this? This is a grassroots movement that Jesus started. Are you wanting to be a part of it or not? Or are you just for Jesus for the coffee and the blessing of salvation that he gave you? Man, pray for me that I would be radicalized for the gospel of Jesus. I, I pray it for you. Father, thank you for stepping out of heaven, putting on skin, limiting yourself for me and for the people sitting in this room. You speak our language. You hear our language. You know our tongue, our creed, our color, our nation. You know everything about us because you dwelt among us. And I pray, Jesus that we would be a people who would do the same. And God, may you be glorified in Cody and beyond. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.